Chapter 47, Touch of Infinity We were hunting the wild poetry, dangerous for savage as a hurricane, nightmare wind of the devil's own lightning. This wasn't poetry simply to charm the soul or fill the heart with passion. It has been said that the purpose of great art is to affect all those who experience it, to change them forever, making of them something greater than they had ever been. This isn't what we sought, what we followed. We were searching for wild poetry, poems to destroy the mind and ravage the soul. We were stalking poetry that killed. The poetry hunters had found me as they chased their quarry, a particularly reckless poem that had defiled the land. It had killed, it had maimed, destroyed homes, ripped trees from the ground, leaving their shattered and splintered husks atop the landscape. Chasing this poem, they had found me. The poem had found me. They thought they were too late that the poem had killed me. They had expected to find the twisted husk of a man bereft of all sanity and sense, nothing left even to beg for death. What they had had found was one who could face the wild poetry, someone who could stand before this thing without form or substance, this monstrous beauty of wind and wild nightmare. Only the poetry hunters had ever stood against such a thing and lived. Only the hunters, shielded by their nets and masks and armor, could hope to stand. Only the hunter with his staff, looking for all the world like a cross between a spear and a gothic lightning rod, could turn such a poem away. They didn't know the poem could kill me because it was the only way Del Morgan could punish me. Del Morgan had had taken my heart and I couldn't die. The poetry hunters didn't know the poem could drive me from my mind because there was nothing for it to take. Another gift from Del Morgan. I had no life. I had no memory to speak of. Nothing prior to the moment when that one among the fair folk had stood in my door and given me a name. That was the beginning of the end of my life. That moment. That one standing in the doorway saying my name. Everything else. Anything else. Gone as if it didn't exist, as if it hadn't happened. I was nothing. The poem could do nothing to me. The poetry hunters didn't know that, didn't understand it. I saw no reason to enlighten them. It explains why the others had drugged me, why they had planted false memories, trying to convince me that I was an insurance salesman. It doesn't matter. They thought they were protecting me, shielding me from the chaotic swirl of sound and fury that was a wild poetry. I don't know if I believe that. That's as good as any other explanation I've heard. It was that, or believe they were simply malicious, trying to spread confusion and trouble, or more likely they had raided my mind, trying to learn who or what I was. The false memories were simply there to confuse me, so I wouldn't know they had been raping me. It didn't matter. There was nothing for them to find. Del Morgan had seen to that. Maybe that's why she took my heart, why she stripped me of all that I had been to protect me from her enemies, to save me from those who would destroy me because I worked for her, used my mind against me, my life, used my very soul to destroy me. I don't buy that for one second, by the way. Del Morgan hadn't taken my heart to save me. She hadn't stripped me of my life and memory so that I couldn't be hurt. She had done it to control me, to own me. I could do nothing because I was nothing. I didn't know what I had been. I didn't have my memory, my life, my existence, my heart. 
I was nothing without my heart. I would have it. I would find it. I would rest until I'd retrieved my heart. Such was Del Morgan's control. I wouldn't leave her service until I found my heart. So the wild poetry held no power over me. Morgan Greywool didn't know that as he watched the poem leave me in peace, I'm sure he didn't even suspect as he asked me to join him in the hunt. They gave me a nightmare wand, something like a cross between a spear and a lightning rod and a TV antenna. There were words and languages I could never hope to survive written all round and through it. It was laced with a spider's work of silk and thread, almost as if it had been forgotten in somebody's found covered in dust and cotton candy. I wasn't expected to fight, not in this hunt. The others were armored and warded against the ravages of unknowable voices. I was there to experience, to learn, to become one of the great hunters of errant verse. So we traveled, seeking the wild poem. We followed in its wake, finding the wreckage of its passage, comforting those who had encountered it, bringing peace to those it had destroyed. We chased it. For a week, ten days, I don't know. Hell, it may have only been three hours. Time's blurs in the hunt. Morgan told me of the great poems as we continued the hunt. They hunted the wild and chaotic poetry, giving it form and trapping it in words. Only then could the poetry be survived, bound to words and voice and page. It couldn't kill. It couldn't drive sanity from one's mind. All poetry is dangerous course. It's just that some poetry is more dangerous than others. It just happens that the wild, unknown, and unspoken verse is the most dangerous of all. So we followed the poem, and I learned why it must be tamed. Looking at destruction, studying the devastation that it left in its wake, the twisted bodies and forgotten minds, I knew that we had to stop it. I don't know if we chased it for hours or weeks or days. All I know is that it found us pulling at the trees, surrounding us in the dark, tired from the long hunt. We weren't ready. The nets were ill-prepared, binding sticks held loose and slipping fingers. The thing surrounded us, driving us in upon ourselves. We tried to hold, pushing out with our sticks, lightning crackling all around us as poetry glanced against our stabs. It was a monster of frightful chaos and wild verse. There were no words, no voice to speak them, no ear to hear them. It was the unfinished symphony, the work that drove the poet mad, sheet upon sheet of paper covered with scribbles, lines and scratches and traces of words so thick upon the page that they were sworn straight through the paper. That's what faced us, what surrounded us, the unbound poem. It would have no master, no title, words, or name. None would know or speak its praise. Such a verse as this was never meant for the ear of mortal man. Such an elegant beast as this is what we faced, driving us in, pushing us one against the other, ripping weapons from our hands, shredding nets from between our fingers, pulling an armor until it fell away and decay. All light and laughter and sound words play things, pushing at us like the roar of the universe until we were grounded to the dirt. The circle broke. The poetry hunters began to fall toward the hole, seeking escape from the thing that had bested them like the river, finding the break in the levee, they fell away, crawling, stumbling against the earth, filling the void of their passage. The poem took the center of the ring it had formed. The poetry hunters fell, seeking escape, all save one. I stood in the center with a poem flowing against me. And just like that, the poem paused. I held it as I'd held it once before. Confused, the poem froze as if it had turned to ice. Confused, 
It couldn't smother us. In that moment, I knew that the poem could be bested. It could be bound with words given form and substance. And I knew that the poetry hunters hadn't been involved in a blind retreat. They had forced an opening spilling through the ground to create the vacuum. The poem had been falling into a trap. It would no longer surround us. The poetry hunters would engulf it. I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't yield or fall back even to spring a trap. I would stand against the poem on its own terms. The poetry hunters were still watching with quiet awe the one who stood against it. What are you waiting for? Just like that, the poetry hunters surged forward. They surrounded the half-circle that was the errant poem with grounding and binding sticks that looked so much like a cross between lightning rod and a TV antenna. They forced the poem down and back. They wrapped it in a ball and ground it with their sticks lashing out. It could do nothing. It had lost. It would be bound. It would be tamed. A wicker and wood cube was brought forth, and what little remained in the wild verse was forced into the box. Their plan would have worked. The poem had forced them back. Yeah. Surrounding them. Yeah. But they hadn't resisted as much as they might, for they knew it could break away from its hold. So the smothering force would find itself pushing against empty air and fall into its own void. The poetry hunters would have shifted suddenly from victim to victor, surrounding the poem that had so recently surrounded them, smothering it into dust. I had to stand against the wild poem. I had to show the poetry hunters that I wouldn't bend, that I wouldn't yield. They had to see that I couldn't be patronized or ignored. I knew that I would be asking many things of them. I knew I would need them to help me in my search for a book that James Joyce never wrote. By showing them I could face the wild poetry, they would help me. They would follow me. Most important of all, they would listen when I told them to turn on the fair folk. I was a fugitive after all, but I'm getting slightly ahead of myself. This audio recording of The Fair Folk of Gideon and the Tale of the Donkey is copyright 2011 by Keith D. Jones. All rights reserved. <laughs>